Hello, and welcome to An Alternative Approach, a podcast for outcasts, misfits, and those who march to the beat of their own drum. I'm your host, Julia Christine, and today I have a very special guest with me, uh, Monsieur Daniel Ahern. He is with Adjust, a services agency that focuses on bringing neurodiversity awareness and training to the workplace. Is that right, Daniel? Did I say that right? Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Everything's right. Yes. That's that's what we do. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having to for being on my podcast with me. I really appreciate it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into what you're doing, and kind of like your story, just condensed. Yeah. So when I was younger, the social worker social worker. And she said, do some volunteering. And the very first piece of volunteering I ever did um, was uh, with an autistic boy in the year 2000. And I never became a social worker. I got so interested in autism that I went to um, work at the National Autistic Society here in the UK. And I worked in a role where we helped autistic people into work, but also helped autistic people at work. And a big learning from that role was every autistic person was individual but nearly every workplace was the same. So whatever the characteristics of someone's autistic experience, like I, they, however individual they were, I still found each workplace were just putting up very, very similar barriers, like application forms, interviews were a big one. Once people are in work, the managers didn't always understand them and their colleagues didn't understand them. So I, I felt like we need to do a lot more about changing the workplace, not changing the autistic person. Um, and then that led me to eventually set up Adjust seven years ago. And we focus on neurodiversity, which is a bit broader than just autism. Uh, and we look at autism, ADHD, dyslexia and dyspraxia to help you understand neurodiversity. Um, and we do like one hour sessions. We do um, bite-sized sessions for managers, recruiters or HR. And we typical half-day Um uh, and, and I find having that very clear and practical approach really, really works well for for organisations. So we want we want them to focus on what they can change. So in interview, maybe they print out questions in advance. Like sometimes the workplaces don't need to know in depth as much as we know about ADHD, for instance. But they need to just be like, what can we do? And whilst I was doing a training session one day, I spoke to. Um, this, this place, I'd not really thought about it, but they were publishers and I did the training session and they were like, we think this would be a good book. So that led to my book, The Pocket Guide to Neurodiversity uh, happening. And that took that took a long time to get over the line, uh, get it done. But, but that's me to date, really. And so tell me a little bit more about The Pocket Guide to Neurodiversity. Like if I was to read it, what could I expect to find? Uh, the Stand neurodiversity and it sort of talks through the four neurotypes I just talked about some basic introductions dyslexia dyspraxia and then I take it to labels and we look at things like cognition emotions processing working memory uh and and get it like beyond the the labels and and how, and how those different topics can actually impact people and what workplace is and what he can do. So my book's not just limited to workplaces. It's 
is that it's the neurodiversity for everyone. So um, I've seen people as parents have said they found it useful, uh, individuals that are neurodivergent themselves. And one person said to me, even they got like a lot of the topic, they were like, somebody so I can give it to other people. That's wonderful. So kind of along the same line of thinking, what are some of the most common barriers that you see? We've already touched on a few of them, like with the application and sending like the questions ahead beforehand. Why would I need to do that from a workplace standpoint? And what kind of an impact can that make for workplaces? So a good question so the idea of the this this you know career where i saw my place was the same yeah let's a bit more so uh, let's think about interviews to start with interviews were often i saw a lot of especially autistic people struggle to get into an employment because interviews might be a judge of how well you are at talking not how well you are at doing the job and sometimes some people that are neurodivergent also have working memory issues so I describe working memory in the book as not your short-term memory not your long-term memory I call it your short short-term memory um so that's like when you go upstairs to get a pen and you forgot why you went upstairs and you come back down with nothing or when you walk in a room and you forgot why you're there or you meet someone and you can't remember their name um or I'm feeling very attacked someone gives right me now. instructions like <laughs> you, you're really relatable isn't it for me it's if I've got poor working memory so I've got ADHD myself so if I come out of a train station and need directions to your office and someone says oh come out of here turn right there's a supermarket on the left take the second right after that and then you know the famous statue turn left by that those verbal instructions in um because I've got poor working memory but I will remember the first one and then I've left and then I'll ask somebody else on that corner and then I'll get to the supermarket and I'll ask somebody there after I probably popped in to get something <laughs> and then <laughs> keep going. So working memory is the difficulty with holding information in your head and doing something with it. So in an interview, it would look like this. Tell me about a time you had quit in the workplace. Um, what did you learn from this? What And what would you do differently next time? So it's hard for somebody who's uh, neurodivergent often to hold those three questions in their head. Tell me about conflict you had. Tell me about what you did about this and what you did differently. So having, say, for instance, the questions either in advance or printed out means someone can reflect on their answers um, and give a better version of themselves. And people sometimes say, oh, but if they get them ahead of time, they get more time to prepare and well, good. <laughs> like, don't you want to see the best version of the people you're trying to hire? Um, other things I saw at interview were like people um, asking questions like, tell me about yourself, which for a lot of the autistic people I supported, they found quite broad. Like, what, what do you want to know about myself? Do you want to know what year <laughs> I was born? Do you want to know what colour my house is? Um, to the other side of that, I saw a lot of autistic people then like froze up and didn't answer the question because they're mm. worried they might give too much information. So I would work with employers and say, can you say at the start, tell me about three skills or experiences you have had that relate to the job you're applying for? Because I found with a lot of autistic people I'd worked with, for instance, they'd 
they didn't have a lot of work experience to fall back on, but they may have had some skills and experience from their life that could translate to the to the job they're coming from. So I remember one autistic person I supported who he really loved um, World of Warcraft. And actually, he kept very complicated spreadsheets about that. So I was able to say to him, like, in a job interview, you can rely on that. Like, you can say I've got a fantastic Excel skills. And um, and it's just drawing that stuff out. So, yeah, the, the biggest barrier I saw was the interview process. But even before that, with attraction, a lot of companies say, oh, um, you must have two years experience or you must have a degree. But a lot of people I've supported throughout my career, they may have... Um, school might have not been the right system for them so they didn't get the, the relevant qualifications to get to university uh, and they might be socially isolated so they didn't get those early employment experiences so even before you start there with your interview with your application and attraction you could be discriminating um, and then I found once someone was in work the big the big difficulty is managers not understanding some of these difficulties so <clears throat> Once the managers can get this understanding, then hopefully we can we can help make sure people retain their roles. Right. So in I'm just gonna like I'm I'm gonna say go down the slippery slope. We're you know <laughs> connecting Good. one to the other. Um, yeah. So my next question kind of follows into that of once people are in these roles, what are the common barriers that you see? Whether it may be environmental or in expectation that you think it you know because you also run a business so you understand what it takes to run a business and so I'm gonna ask it mm -hmm. almost from the business perspective of with your own goals in mind how can you help somebody else to meet those expectations when you also have your goals I suppose sometimes I talked to I was talking to a firm last week and I was training the managers and I said even before you do neurodiversity training for managers, train managers up properly to be good managers. So if managers can be good managers, not not for neurodivergent people or any other underrepresented groups, just good managers, then they will be able to give instructions clearly. Um, thinking about like running my own business, like if I'm not getting the output from somebody I want. I will first of all question myself. So I would think, oh yeah, I did have like a meeting with that person. It was a lot of like, it was very verbal, very chatty. Um, and I never followed up with bullet points to say, lovely meeting, Um, you need to do A, B, C, and D. So from that perspective, it's really interesting to reflect on because then when I work with employers, I've got that experience as well. But, and often I think what gets in the way sometimes for managers is, like their ego they're like this person's not listening to me I've asked them to do this they won't do it um but often it can be because they haven't given the instructions in the right way and like I said you have to you have to follow up with action points and and some of that just comes down to good basic management not not neurodiversity a lot of the time in the workplace I see uh managers aren't always very clear so they might be clear to the neurotypical standard but they're not always clear to specifically, I'd often say the autistic standard, which might be you need to be exceptionally clear about each step. And a lot of the time managers will say to me, oh, but they should know that bit. And I was like, no, when you're when you're giving instructions, you need to be, um, one autistic person said to me, it's like you need to be pedantically clear. 
and I think that, especially that's a wonderful in, way of in putting the, it. Yeah, especially in the UK. Um, I don't know what it's like like where you are, but like we in the UK, I don't know if we're famous for it, but we Brits we never say what we mean. We've got we've got phrases like that's frowned upon when we mean don't do that. Even the phrase frowned upon is so British because uh, it's still not saying what it means. So, you know, I find I don't, it'd be interesting to reflect on on your experience, but and you might your your culture might be unclear in a different way. But I think for a lot of autistic people, especially in the workplace in Britain, we don't like to say what we mean, um, and we're very unclear and ultra polite to the point where I've even said to managers, "You need to be clear and direct," and they're like. Will that will that seem patronizing? Um, mm. You know, it's not very polite. And I think you can be direct and polite. Now, I've I've said to managers as well, you can say to somebody, "It's been nice talking to you. Now I need to get back to my work now, and you need to get back to yours. We'll speak again on Friday." Like you can still be British and polite and clear. Right. Well, it's like here I've noticed that it's, for at least in my own experience, very conflict averse. So mm. however you deal with conflict, right? It's not necessarily about being polite, but you'll see a very passive aggressive. <laughs> like yeah. like pass, passive aggressive is a standard. Um, so okay. being, being direct and setting boundaries, even clear boundaries and doing it kindly and politely, people are like, oh, how dare you? Yeah. like they'll, they they take it very you know you were talking about the ego they take it very personally that is like you set mm. a boundary with me like mm. oh my gosh what's wrong with you and it's like no I'm telling you I am giving you what I need and yeah. I've been blessed to be a very direct communicator right I have yeah. <laughs> I, I feel lucky I grew up in an environment where communication and different communication styles was taught, but not everybody has that, right? So being able to say, hey, I don't like this. Can we find another way around it? A lot of people here, if you say that to them, especially any kind of management, they take it personally, they'll shut down and they'll be like, fine, however you want to do it, that's fine. And then yep. I'm like, you're setting me up for fit. I I feel right. Also being neurodivergent, it's like you're setting me up for failure, because now yeah. I it's like I want to please you, and I don't know how I can please you within my own. I'm gonna say pathology, right? The the actual neurology behind it, where I'm like, for example, you know, my form of ADHD is auditory processing is not easy for me. So when you're like, oh, that was very verbal. I needed to follow up with bullet points. I was like, oh my gosh, if I had managers <laughs> that were willing to do that, right? Or even being able to communicate that I needed that, I don't, like, I that was not something I recognized that I yeah. needed until just recently where I'm like, hey, you're telling me all of this and I really want to be present and I really want to pay attention and I'm not going to remember, right? Going back to that, like auditory yeah. processing tacked on with the working memory. I'm like, I'm not going to remember. Can you yeah. write it down for me? And if they don't, then 
I'm then held responsible. I'm like, but I told you what I needed. Yeah. No, no, it's so interesting. Uh, it's almost like, I agree with you. I feel like I've been lucky to be given uh, clear communication. And even sometimes I find I communicate very clearly, but people are still looking for different meaning behind my words. But I don't have any different meaning behind my words. Subtext. Subtext. I was just talking about yeah. this with a friend where it's like a lot of neurotypicals, a lot of neurotypicals, they see subtext as yeah. they continue to look for subtext, even though yes. they, there is none. I'm like, take me at, you know, a common phrase is take me at face value. Yeah. Right. T take me at face value. Like there's nothing additional, but because they are reading subtext that isn't there, it's like, oh, you said this, but you really meant this. Yeah. But with me, I mean what I say. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's quite funny that uh and I think that happens to a lot of neurodivergent communicators who might who might sometimes be clearer that people are looking around it. So when I work with managers, I explain all of this and also but it's really interesting, isn't it? Like communication can be so nuanced, but I'm glad we brought up different cultures as well, because when I talk about neurodiversity, I'm talking about it in the British culture in the modern time. So if you're more of a, a reflective processor, back in ancient Greece, you might have been lauded as like, you know, one of the uh, the famous philosophers, because you might take more time to respond. Mm. And people think, well, like, people might have thought that's wise. But in, in British culture today, um, I think we just want answers straight away, even if they're wrong, uh, or someone to do something straight away. And actually, we need that blend of neurodiversity, where you've got the reflective processes and you've got the the faster processes working I, together. I love that you brought that up of the like thinking fast and the thinking slow, in the way of yes, we expect that, and then you have the opposite. So, for example, myself and my partner like. I'm a very fast processor. You can present a lot of information to me. One of the earmarks of ADHD is pattern recognition, yeah. right? So I'm able to look at a lot of information, see the pattern and be like, oh, this is, this is, this is, this And yeah. something my partner who's neurotypical says to me is, is like, you're going too fast. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Mm. And I'm like, so that's another challenge there. And it's like, yeah. how do you, or... I'm going through all of this and it's like, it seems irrelevant, but it's all connected. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how as a manager, right. Looking at a manager or even an employee right now, speaking from an employee standpoint, knowing, having that awareness that I do this, how yeah. could I manage that better to present it in the workplace to, you know, looking at kind of like, an advantage or a disadvantage and how can we mitigate this in a way that isn't necessarily costing us or the business well that's why i think awareness is so key i just i'm a massive advocate of awareness and education um and i really really believe in it that if if we can keep going and keep saying the same thing like year after year after year it'll it'll go in eventually and what I'm seeing now, though, as well, is a lot of younger people, like school age, they're getting diagnosed much easier. Um, and I think they're going to turn up in workplaces and they're going to say, where's my standing desk? Where's my speech to text software? Like, 
where where yeah. can I go when I need little little movement breaks? And um, what fidget stuff have you got for me? Like, I think they're just going to expect it. So I think it mm. might be harder. Right. I think I'm I'm trying to create change now, but I've also got a lot of faith in the future and a lot of the younger people coming through who are going to create a lot of that change because they're just going to expect it. I love that point. And I don't think that has been considered a whole lot, right? Because mm. a lot of what I've heard is, well, this is the way it's always been done. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was like, oh, this is the way this has always been done. It's like, okay, so what can we, how can we, how can we help? <laughs> right? So I yeah. love your point of awareness, having that awareness. And then that expectation that the younger workers are going to be bringing in also but and I'm going to yeah. ask this point blank do you think that is sustainable at a business level or do you think that there might be a number of people that look at that as entitlement um well I'm hoping it's sustainable and I'm hoping that that those people like lead that that, that leads to change um what I want to focus on in terms of my own business is like what outcomes we get so you'd hope that businesses look at like if someone's doing their work from a standing desk they're more productive rather than they have to sit down all day because that's the way it's always been done you're like well just look at the product i would say to businesses let's look at the productivity that come out of these adjustments that we're that we're suggesting um and one manager said to me oh so what you're saying is flexibility of approach but clarity of outcome i think it's a bit of a mic drop moment yeah, I yeah, yeah. That. I was like, you didn't need me in. You didn't need me in for three hours. Right. You could just say that, and I walk out. Right. Because <laughs> right. um, like, I I would achieve outcomes, but if I do it standing on my head, then that's fine. Uh, as long as you achieve the outcome. So, from the business perspective, like you're saying, from their side, I'm always telling them what's the outcome to be achieved. If if this person's going to achieve it by not traveling in rush hour and they come into work in a better place look at it that way um and then i think the awareness with the the teams and the wider audience uh, the wider audience of employers and colleagues helps with that stuff around like entitlement and things yeah because if i was to suggest to a workplace this autistic person needs their own car parking space they because they, they struggle with change then that might be seen like that but then once they have the awareness i have seen a lot more softening of that sort of attitude so I think mm -hmm. the awareness goes hand in hand with that. But I really like I used to do a lot point. of coaching. I used to do a lot of coaching with autistic people, and I would spend the first three or four sessions getting them to understand what autism is and how it manifests for them, mm. um, so that they could advocate for their own needs. So and say like, "I'm autistic. I like you to be clear with me." Um, I might take a tiny bit of time to reflect on this, you know, just giving some clear, clear outcomes. So I always say to employees, don't just say to your manager, you've got ADHD, say I've got ADHD, I need a standing desk. I do like walking meetings, but I do like to follow up with what we've talked about um, with bullet points uh, so that you're advocating for yourself. But people need help with that. Um, so I'm very fully concentrated with adjust on changing the workplace. I'm like the workplace's coach. But there are people out there doing fantastic work with neurodivergent employees as well. So you need you need both sides, don't you? Right. Well, and I think that's interesting how you shared that there's 
in the first three sessions, it was educating the actual autistic person that they had autism and what yeah. that meant. Yeah. I think that gets overlooked a lot. In this, like, somebody gives you a label, oh, you're ADHD. Yeah. Good luck, right? Like, yeah, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, so, especially... yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, it's especially acute here with autism that people get their autistic diagnosis and literally that's what happens. They're sort of like, bye-bye. That leaflet, right. give them a leaflet, yeah. But yeah, the same with ADHD. Um, and I used to find it so frustrating. Yeah, well, it's like, so the diagnoses here in the public school system, particularly, unless you have parents that are like running it down with medical professionals, is unless it impacts to a degree that they children are not able to function, you won't mm. receive an individualized education plan, right? This is mm. why like private schools and homeschooling are so popular, especially I'm, I'm going to mm. say for that kind of alternative approach, yeah. right? To just kind of life in general like I myself was homeschooled right so I yeah. had a lot of that freedom to find the coping mechanisms a lot of movement yeah. music um working in different environments is a big thing for me to be able to shift yeah. my environment yeah. right and I, I, like I right well I see where that is a struggle for like a lot of businesses or even you know talking about the education system because yes you work at the workplaces but like you said in your pocket right the pocket guide to neurodiversity has so many applications in these other environments yeah. also yeah. where it's right and also setting that expectation for kids coming out of the schooling system but I'm also looking at it like you know I know that my kids are neurodivergent I know that yeah. they are <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of like you got the deck stocked against you kiddos I'm really sorry yeah. <laughs> um but it was not flagged by the public yeah. school system here right and that wasn't instead they're like oh we'll do extra tutoring we'll do extra and I'm like you don't realize what it like they don't know what they don't know yes exactly yeah right so it's like how almost like how can we help there in an environment that maybe like unless you're extreme or unless it's directly impacting yeah. your performance that they don't see it but like you have all of these in between or even a, another mm -hmm. approach to that would be what are your top three I'm going to say healthy coping mechanisms that people can use like in the workplace that may be not as progressive to allow like standing desks walking meetings uh, I've seen some people do planks for meetings, you know, like a lot more planks. of that planks, right? Like well, when you like the, the yoga uh, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. I'll tell you, meetings are really short. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would really make a meeting short. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. You, I will let me let me come back to a question, but you made me think of my own journey at school, like in year nine. So yeah, about um, how old was like 13, 14? And I got sent to the dyslexia support tutor at school because back in the mid nineties in England, if you were struggling in school, it must've just been dyslexia, <laughs> but uh, unbeknown to me, it would have been ADHD. So when I went to see the dyslexia support person, uh, they were like, no, you're not dyslexic. And um, actually I didn't even do a proper test. Now I know what they are. Like 
I just had to spell some words. Um, but under that situation, I took my time. But in class, I just I was just rushing all the time. Then if you go and see me to someone to assess, then I'm going to take my time and do it properly. Um, so for me, it was ADHD, not not dyslexia. Uh, and then again, it just uh, about 17, I got sent to the, uh, the person again because I was still struggling. Uh, and again, they still didn't look into ADHD. Um, and I really liked what you said. So the way I got through my GCSEs here, which is like the the, the school leaving exam, um, was we had 12 subjects and I was like, I'm just going to focus on five and two of them, you got double award. So for science, you got double award. And for English, you got English language and literature. So I got seven um, A to C's and I just did not worry about RE, which was religious education. I didn't worry about DT, which was like woodwork. Um, I didn't worry about French and um, I didn't think IT was going to be very big. So I didn't worry about that one, but you know what? I've picked up as I've gone along, but for me, I wasn't really picked up as well because I had my own coping strategies and it was supported by my dad to like, yeah, let's not worry about those. If you're not very good at them, let's put all your energy into the ones you're good at. So it can make you strategic. Um, but yeah, to come back to your question. <laughs> oh, you're good. Uh, three, I'm enjoying it. Three sort of things. Oh. <laughs> uh, but it just made me think, like, I think maybe you've done this throughout my whole life. I've always put, I would describe this for myself, so it's respectful, but weird little ways of getting through. Like, I just do my own little things in my own little way, but it means I run a successful business. I got my, my got myself into college because I got enough marks. Um, so I would have probably struggled in an American system where you're a whole average, you get a grade average, don't you? Um, that, it depends. So for example, um, oh, okay. They <laughs> go down another rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Like, for example, it was like you do, you have the overall score and then you have the individual scores within each section. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. like you can do it and you're, you know, like you're talking about where you're like, I'm just going to focus on the ones I'm really good at. Right. So, yeah. It's, taking that strategy and you can apply that and it will bring up your overall to where you're like, I definitely failed okay. math, yeah. but I did yeah. really well in all of these others. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And, and I think I took that into the workplace with me. And I suppose one of the things I did a lot in the workplace was I just focused on stuff I thought I was good at and just didn't really bother with the stuff I wasn't as good at. I mean, my managers didn't always like that, but um. <laughs> I realize now looking back that that was like me, that problem solving all the time. And if you do it well enough, then eventually they do stop asking you to do the stuff you're not good at. And from a young age, I was better at training. Uh, and a lot of the people in my office, they might have been 22, 23. They didn't all like training. They were happy with the report writing. But I was like, I'm very happy to stand up in front of a group of employers and talk. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I suppose one of the answers to that is just like that river finding its way to the sea like I just focused on what I was good at enough and I was very lucky with that and I had a very supportive manager in my 20s uh who I've mentioned in the book David Perkins uh but other do you do you mean like things like that so anyway you can adjust I think another thing I did you've probably done this is um I just make an excuse I need to go to the toilet a lot which isn't probably an acceptable one I'd advise but it seemed to be the only socially acceptable way you could get up and move around a lot in a workplace I really appreciate that. Well, and in the way of like, 
I've, I have found that looking for healthy coping mechanisms, like a, you know, another socially acceptable way is smoking, like taking smoke breaks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's not necessarily healthy. And so it's like, yeah, not just, exactly. yeah. right. Especially for those of us with neurodivergence that maybe have lower levels of dopamine and yeah. have a higher probability of forming addictions. <laughs> Right. Yep. So I'm looking for the healthy addictions. Right. So like you mm. said, where you're like um, finding like the river finding its way to see where yeah, you yeah. found what you were really good at and you just focused on that or you got yeah. up and you went to the toilet for those movement breaks. Right. Yeah, yeah. And what I found is that there's a lot of people like us. Right. Looking for an alternative way of. Yeah approach you know like we have all of these alternative approaches or people like my best friend didn't know that she was autistic right yeah and then I start describing all of these different things and my own journey on Mm. like how did I become so alternative why is this a thing and she's like oh my god that's me right and then I'm giving her all of healthy coping mechanisms and she's like this is making such a difference to my quality of life. Yeah. Right. And it's like that quality of life that you didn't even realize wasn't good. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, and I love how you brought also the impact that manager had for you. Cause I think that's a yeah. really strong, I'm going to say a persuasive piece for managers, yeah. you know, that pushback. It's like, look, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for yeah 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 that support manager mm-hmm. right that supportive manager yeah, yeah. you make me cry <laughs> right well it's like no yeah but it's, yeah you never know like the people that you meet in your life what impact that can have when but it's only sometimes you look back you're like oh right that's that's the impact it had um and yeah I think I should use it more of an example when I train managers and perhaps I don't enough uh because that's a good point. <laughs> Well, it's, it's that, you know, it's like I found vulnerability, right? Vulnerability is where, is where connection happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, So like some of your other, so that movement breaks, right? The being able to focus on what you were good at. Now, did you get pushback in that with the other people? I mean, like you said, as you said, like your managers didn't like that necessarily at first, but then you did it long enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if I hadn't had a good manager for me, I'd have just been in a lot of different jobs every year, 18 months. And I think there's not much research around that. So we know in the UK, only 29% of autistic people are in employment. But we don't really know about people's journey with ADHD or dyslexia, dyspraxia. And it would not surprise me if they were the type of people that had 10 jobs on their CV before they're 30, 12 months, 18 months, 12 months, 18 months. I'm feeling um, very yeah. attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Just relatable. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and I think that's something that a bit like me, like I just got through the schooling system in my own way. It's people getting through, but they deserve better. Um, yeah, if they're the right manager. Um, so yeah, I would I'd probably have had problems in, in workplaces at some points, but I suppose it would have just been now I'd be like, right, I'm really bad at written stuff. Can I have speech to text software? Can I have accountability? Like it's I need you to tell me I need that by four o'clock. 
and then give me consequence of if it's not done. Um, I really respond well to outcomes and deadlines. Like if you said to me now, go out in the street and find some stones, I'd be bored. But if you said, go out and find me 10 stones, I'd be like, right, I'll get 10. Like that's my, I've, I've hit my mission. I'm like, hold on right there, right there. Hold on. I'm like, that's a something. <laughs> I'm like, I have yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, I, that would help me a lot. Hold on. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> so what is we should it? just swap our brains. Well, I'm like, what is it about? Because you're absolutely, that's, sorry, you hit something and I'm, I'm a little like, <laughs> I, so it, you just caught my hyper-focus, right? Is what it is. I'm yeah. like, wait, what is this rock? <laughs> um, so <Yeah. laughs> if you tell me to go outside and take rocks, I'll be bored. But if you tell me to go outside and pick 10 rocks, then I yeah. have a mission. What is the difference yeah. there? Like why, why, does, why is it that like the 10 Oof. rocks catches my interest, but yeah. go out and pick rocks doesn't like help me understand. I think it's dopamine based, isn't it? So like, if you meet a target, it's, um, I think the term is like, if you gamify it, like anything gamified, I'm there. Like going to the park and kicking a football with my mates when I was young, bit boring, but if it's like first to 10 goals, I'm switched on. So I think it's probably dopamine related yes and right so i think the term gamify it has been tossed around a lot right like oh gamify yeah. it gamify it but i i'll get into a game and without a clear goal i'm like this is boring yeah <laughs> right so it's not just about gamifying it i think i think what you hit with is the dopamine and yeah it's it, but you gave me a target right yeah so it's, and I've been told, build on small wins, right? And I think yeah. a lot of people will give us a big goal and then yeah. like we get lost in between. Yeah. Right? So in that same way, it's like, that's a very attainable goal. Mm. Like 10 rocks versus go out and pick a bunch of rocks. 10 rocks is a very yeah, attainable yeah. goal. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, I can, I can get that. I can do that. Right. So I go out, I get my 10 rocks and I'm like, yeah, I win. <laughs> right. Like yeah. you said, your but, first, yeah. first to 10 goals, it's that clear identification of an attainable goal. Yeah. Yes. And attainable is the important part. Right. Well, it's like the other ones are attainable, but it might take a while. Yeah. And it's like, and how... So it's interesting. So I worked with a dyslexia expert years ago and she told me like all of this is in the same bucket and it's all just yeah. processing on the right hemisphere of your brain. Yeah. Okay. Right. So like all of it, it's because I was like, she was dyslexia, a dyslexia expert. And I'm like, I relate yeah. to a lot of these. I know I'm ADHD. I'm not dyslexic. And she's like, well, that's because it's all in the same. You're just processing information on the right side of your brain versus the left. And I was like, well, that's a shift. And that's why, yeah, that's why my book, I wanted to take it beyond the labels mm -hmm. and get people to understand like processing and working memory and not worry too much, whether it's called ADHD or autism. Like sometimes in the UK managers will be like, well, I need to see their medical certificate to say they've got it. And I was like, well, one, you don't technically and legally here in the UK. If there's reasonable belief, we need to put adjustments in. But also I'm telling you how to manage me well. 
that's a gift to you as a manager. Like, <laughs> if you want to manage me, give me deadlines, outcomes, allow me frequent movement, uh, allow me to use my verbal ability a lot more. So, yeah, I think if I was going back now, it would be about probably being more confident to saying that like, I struggle to fill in forms. Like, right. the, the help me if you were like, right, every day at half past three, we're going to do the form till quarter to four and then after that you can go to the shop and get some chocolate I don't know what it would be right yeah an easy reward right (laughs) but yeah like you said I I see it with my children I like conceive especially with one of them that he really benefits from lots of rewards little but often Mm. but I was brought up I suppose well it's just maybe it was more like the way it was my mum would sort of like wait for one big reward in a month but that wouldn't work for me and then like, I might ruin it and then I might not get my big reward in the month. But it's just too far off. So if it's lots of little rewards, I d- I've gone off a tangent a bit. No, no. I, <laughs> it's going to happen with me and you. So I, well, yes. And I think there's a lot of value in what's being shared back and forth, right? Yeah. In that like, because how many others are like us and they don't know it or they yeah. don't know how to articulate it. Right. Which is why, honestly, I started this podcast was because it's like there's there's so many of us out there that I'm like, Mm. hey, you don't have to fit in the mold to do well. Right. And that's uh, you'll see a lot of self-esteem issues. Like I'm sure you've seen it working in the workplace with employees and managers. Like there's a lot of self-esteem or even just in your own personal right working with coaching and all of that where it's like that you feel like you have to fit in this mold and if you don't if you don't that yeah. somehow you're failing at life yeah and it's like no you're failing at a system that wasn't built for you yeah right and going back to that culture like for example egyptians right the those that built the pyramids and those blueprints and whatnot it's like a lot of your dyslexia you think yeah. in, in 3D, right? Visually, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. so those were your architects. These were the people that- So the dyslexics that... build the pyramids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Where they- That's what I label they... this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. I think that's right on. Uh, <laughs> but they, you know, it's like, they have this where they don't, but you put them in a school system where you have to achieve a degree before you're able to actually do what you're already doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And now I'm like, but how do I get there? So I think what you're doing with helping to create those systems is so needed and helpful, right? To creating that system. So what would be, I, you know, I don't know if you would have the capacity to do this, but what a lot of how you are articulating, hey, I, you know, it's like this verbal processing, this is what I need. This, this is how mm. you can help me. I would love yeah. to have that on a sheet, honestly, because there's yeah. so many of that, how that translates in the workplace that I don't. Yeah. Like the way that you describe it, I'm like, yes, that's a hundred percent what I need. Like, hey, I, you know, I struggle with working yeah. memory. If I can have this and write written format yeah. or auditory processing or 
the opposite if you present to me a big block of text i'm not going to pay attention <laughs> yes yeah no it's a really good point uh a lot of it's in the book yeah oh perfect let yeah. me get the book um, <laughs> yeah uh, a lot of it's in there uh and yeah you should you're making me think today because you've asked me questions in a way that people haven't asked me before and then that's got some information out of my head in a different way as well so i found that useful to reflect upon as well you've really taken me back in my mind uh to think about things um yeah and yeah it, it's good to get it like down somewhere isn't it so yeah a lot of it's in the book um a lot of the time in the uk i don't really like the terminology of it but in workplaces we call it like um it might be an accessibility passport okay so like the things we're talking about now you would have a one pager of you and it would say what you the things that you just said like you find hard and how to help you i don't know why i don't like the word passport i think it's because I'm, I'm difficult I, I just don't like it <laughs> but that's generally what it's being called here in the uk so okay. as well as like you and I inventing new things all the time, sometimes I have to go with something that's being done that's good and see past the fact I don't like the word passport <laughs> because I always want to reinvent the wheel. Um, but that's the sort of thing you're talking about, the one sort of a one pager so that you could show it to a manager and then that's the the, man, the manual to, or, to or, or Or think about it like a, a reference or an index. Yeah. Right. Like the reference material. So not it like to take it a step further. So it is the accessibility passport in, but rather than just a one pager to help me, it is yeah. if your employee is having a hard time with these things, try yeah. this. And then That's it's it, a yeah. right, but it's a yeah. it's a big page. So rather than just a single page to help yeah. me, yeah, because yeah. In my experience, even neurotypicals have areas that they process on the right yeah, side yeah. versus the left. And it's like, there's so yeah. much here that can be shared. And neurotypicals yeah. are like, well, I don't, like, yeah, I struggle, but doesn't everybody? And it's like, yeah. <clears throat> you struggle, but you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good answer to that. <laughs> I get asked that. Sometimes by senior people, well, I struggled and I, you know, I'm all right. And you say, yeah, you could just say we didn't have to. <laughs> no yeah. one wants to struggle. Right. Well, it's like, and is that something you want somebody else to struggle with? Right. Yeah. Is the other, is the other part of that? Like my husband finally, fine, I say finally, I, sh I should watch myself. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, he shared with me that he has, um, he's discovered that he actually might have like a reading disability or just, you know, oh, okay. he, he really struggles. And now English is not his first language. His first language is Spanish. Yeah. So you have some of that also, okay. but yeah, he's, yeah. but he's looking at it and he's like, you know, I've always kind of struggled with this. If I had these tactics sooner, how much farther would yeah. I be? Exactly. Yeah. That's another good way of looking at it. Right. And I'm like, Oh, yeah you know so having that sheet would be like super helpful yeah. for me even in being able to advocate for myself right yeah. because sometimes it's like I know where I struggle but I don't know how to get that need met yes or again it... it's being confident in yourself it's hard to say I'm not good at this thing 
isn't it? So if mm. we go on that journey, first of all, I see people I know are struggling, but I think they're not even on the journey to be able to say they're not good at it. And it's a defense mechanism because of low self-esteem where they just won't accept that they're not good at it. So then at that point, it's still hard. So it's, it's still a journey. Uh, and then uh, having the confidence and understanding of how you work and then to, yeah, to think about what you'd like, where you'd like to get to. Uh, it's a really, it's a really important conversation. Well, and I think there's a lot of fear associated also. Like if I say yeah. this, how is that going to impact you perceive, yeah. my, my opportunities, right? My future yeah. opportunities. Like, are you, are you going to see this? Like, oh, well, she can't do this. And I really need that in this role rather yeah. than why don't we adjust the role? Yeah, adjust, producer, that word. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Daniel, thank you so much. I would, I want to be cognizant of your time, but so is there, is there anything that you really want to share that you don't think that we covered today? No, I think we covered a lot of stuff I didn't expect to cover. And, and we came to the conclusion that it was dyslexic people that built the pyramids. That's my favorite outcome <laughs> of today. <laughs> I, I think uh, the, uh, you know, clarity, like focus on productivity with the clarity of outcomes was one of my favorites. Mm. That's... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you Next so much. Of approach, right. You. Exactly. Well, so quick, as we wrap up, what is the best way if people seeing this, hearing this want to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach you? Um, yeah. You could go on adjustservices.co.uk. That's my adjust website. I'm on Twitter, uh, Ahern underscore Danny, or LinkedIn, just search LinkedIn, Daniel Ahern. There are a few of us, but I'm the only one with the Pocket Guide to Neurodiversity in his bio. <laughs> and that's a good segue. Where can I get the book? Yeah, everywhere on the internet. Um, all the usual places. Okay. So are you in, like, if I was to look at, you know, we have, like, Barnes and Noble here. If I were to look in Barnes and Noble yeah. for you, will you be there also? I think on the web I think on the website, yeah, I think so. Awesome. All right. Well, Daniel, thank, thank you, you so much. And thank uh, you. yeah, I'll follow up follow up with bullet points, right? <laughs> nice to speak. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to An Alternative Approach, a podcast for misfits, outcasts, and those that march to the beat of their own drum. If you found this helpful and you think somebody else will find it helpful too, be sure to share it with them. And if you want more content like this, be sure to subscribe. We'll see you next week.